chapter thirty seven of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain he hath awakened from the dream of life it was the day which was to have seen suzette's wedding the thirteenth of december a dull mild december promising that green christmas which is said to people churchyards with newcomers a december to gladden the heart of the fox-hunter and disappoint the skater sitting in melancholy solitude by the drawing-room fire on this grey rainy morning suzette was glad to remember that she had prevented the sending out of invitation cards and that very few people in matcham knew the intended date of that wedding which was never to be there were not many to think of her with especial pity on this particular day sitting alone in her desolation in her dark serge frock with the black poodle caro and her piano for her only companions even the companionship of that beloved piano had failed her since jeffrey's disappearance music was too closely associated with his presence there was not a single composition in her portfolio that did not recall him not an air she played that did not bring back the words he had spoken when last her fingers followed the caprices of the composer he had been her master as well as her lover he had taught her the subtleties of musical expression had breathed mind into her music bessie edgefield knew the date but bessie was sympathetic and never officious or obtrusive she would drop in by and by no doubt pretending not to remember anything particular about the day she would be full of some little bit of village news or a new book from moody's or mrs roebuck's last bonnet the wedding was to have been at two o'clock a sensible comfortable hour giving the bride ample leisure in which to put on her wedding finery the hours between breakfast and luncheon seemed longer than usual that morning a long blank weariness after suzette had seen her father mount and ride away on his favourite hunter the hounds met on the other side of the downs on the borders of hampshire it would be late most likely before she would welcome that kind father to the comfortable fireside and listen or at least pretend to listen to the varying fortunes of an adventurous day and in the meantime she had the day all before her to dispose of as best she might that day which was to have seen her a bride was she sorrowing for the lover who had forsaken her as she sat looking with sad tearless eyes into the fire was she regretting the happiness that might have been thinking of a life which should have been cloudless no she had never contemplated a life of cloudless happiness with geoffrey warnock she had loved that fiery spirit her love had been conquered by a mind stronger than her own and she had submitted almost as a slave submits to her captor mentally she had been in bondage able to see all that was faulty and perilous in the character of her conqueror yet loving him in spite of his faults but to-day his image was associated with a great terror a terror of undiscovered crime the fear that when next she heard his name spoken she would hear of him as an arrested criminal or as a suicide self-slaughtered in some quiet spot where the searchers must needs be slow to find him two o'clock she had tried all her best-loved books in the endeavour to forget the dark realities of life 
but books did not help her to-day she never went into the dining-room for a formal luncheon when her father was out for the day preferring some light refreshment of the kind which one hears of in miss austen's novels as the tray a modest meal of cake and fruit with nothing more substantial than a sandwich to-day even the sandwich was impossible her lips were dry with an inward fever her hands were cold as ice her forehead was burning was it raining she asked the servant no the rain had ceased an hour ago the man told her she started up with a feeling of relief at the idea of escape from the dull silent house put on her hat and jacket and went out of the glass door into the garden where the mild winter had left a few flowers pale dijon roses amidst the thick foliage of honeysuckle and magnolia on the south wall a lingering chrysanthemum here and there in a sheltered bend of the shrubbery the air was full of the sweetness of herbs and flowers and the freshness of the rain yes it was a relief to be walking about looking at the shrubs shaking the rain from the feathery branches of the deodars searching for late violets behind a border of close-clipped box it was a comfortable old-fashioned garden full of things that had been growing for the best part of a century a garden of broad gravel walks and square grass plots espaliers hiding asparagus beds the scent of sweet herbs conquering the more delicate odours of violets and rare roses a dear old garden to be happy in and a quiet retreat in which to walk alone with sorrow suzette walked alone with her sorrow for nearly an hour thankful for the hazard which had carried her energetic aunt to salisbury two days before on a visit to her friends in the close and had thus spared her mrs mornington's society on this particular day to have been comforted or to have been bewailed over would have added to her burden to walk alone in this dull old garden was best not alone any more she heard the rustling of branches at the other end of the long green alley and a footstep a heavier footfall than bessie edgefield's on the moist gravel her heart throbbed with a startled expectancy joy or fear she had no time to know which feeling predominated before she saw her lover coming quickly towards her he was dressed not as she had been accustomed to see him in the corduroy waistcoat short tweed coat and knickerbockers of rustic out-of-door life but in a frock-coat light grey trousers and white waistcoat and was wearing a sunday hat she had time to note these details and the malmaison carnation in his coat and the light gloves which he was carrying before he was at her side looking down at her with wild bloodshot eyes grasping her arm with a strong hand while those smart lavender gloves dropped from his unconscious grasp and fell on the wet gravel to be trampled underfoot like weeds why were you not at the church why are you wearing that dingy frock you and your bridesmaids ought to have been ready an hour ago i've been waiting for you have you forgotten what this day means geoffrey have not you forgotten what madness to come back like this what have you been doing with your life since the fourteenth of november where have you been hiding where hiding nonsense i've been travelling i took it into my head when alan was coming back that you didn't care for me that he was the favoured lover in spite of all i had extorted your promise and you were sorry you had ever given it and i thought the best thing for me would be to make myself scarce to go to africa australia anywhere the world is big enough for 
two people to give each other a wide berth but not big enough for allan and me if you liked him better than me i was a fool that's all a fool to doubt my dearest but there's no time to lose we must be married before three come to the church as you are what does it matter i've put on my war paint you see my valet seemed to think i was mad you have seen your mother yes she has been plaguing me with questions i gave her the slip allan is there in my house the irony of fate isn't it hovering between life and death my mother told me how long will he hesitate between two opinions i left them wondering and hurried to the church to meet you only to find emptiness no one there not even the sexton but there is still time we can be married you and i with the sexton and pew opener for witnesses and can start for the other end of the world to-night geoffrey why did you go away she asked looking up at that wild face with infinite terror in her own the restless eyes the convulsive working of the dry hot lips told their story only too plainly the story of a mind distraught dear geoffrey she said gently with unspeakable pity for this human wreck there can be no marriage to-day we are all in great trouble about allan about allan always about allan he interrupted savagely what has allan to do with the matter it is our wedding-day yours and mine i don't want allan for my best man there can be no marriage while allan is ill lying in your house so nearly murdered perhaps even yet to die from that cruel usage they are looking for his murderer geoffrey was it wise for you to come back to this place knowing that knowing what that allan's mother is determined to find the man who so nearly killed her son what have i to do with her determination i shall neither hinder nor help her oh the crafty smile the malice and the cunning in that face a look which suzette had never seen till now a look which made that once splendid countenance seem the face of a stranger she shrank from him involuntarily he saw the sudden look of repulsion and tightened his grasp upon her arm until she gave a cry of pain did i hurt you loosening his grasp with a laugh what a fluttering little dove it is so easily scared so easily hurt come suzette you are not going to cheat me are you this is the thirteenth of december do you hear the thirteenth the date fixed and appointed by you by your very self you shall not evade your own appointment come love come he took a few rapid steps forward dragging her along with him lifting her off her feet in his vehemence but stopping suddenly when he found she was nearly falling geoffrey how rough you are i didn't mean to be rough but there's not a moment to lose why won't you come i am not coming it is sheer madness to talk of our wedding you have been away for a whole month of your own accord our marriage has been put off indefinitely poor geoffrey looking at his haggard face with sudden tenderness how dreadfully ill you look worse than the night you arrived from zanzibar i will go back to the manor with you and see you safe and at rest with your dear mother no no i am never going back to the manor where that dead man lies dead oh god he is not dead what do you mean i don't want their dead man there well he may live perhaps i don't want him there his presence poisons my house as his influence has poisoned my life he has been a blight upon me like me they say like me but of a different fibre i know how to fight from my own hand 
will you come with me to the church quietly of your own accord no no impossible then i'll make you he cried savagely seizing her in his arms i won't be fooled i won't be cheated i'm here to fulfil my part of the bond i've not forgotten the date then with a swift change of mood he loosened his angry hold upon her fell on his knees at her feet crying over the poor little hand which he clasped in both his own pity me suzette pity me i am the most miserable wretch in the world i've been wandering about england like a criminal a hateful country no solitude people staring and prying everywhere a miserable overcrowded place where a man cannot be alone with his troubles where there is no space for thought or memory but i did not forget you your image was always there touching his forehead that never faded only i forgot other things or hardly knew which were dreams or which were real that grey afternoon in the wood and the words that were said and his face when i struck him a dream yes a dream and then only yesterday the date upon a newspaper seen by accident i have read no newspaper since i left discombe reminded me of to-day i was at podstow yesterday afternoon an out-of-the-way village on the cornish coast and it has taken me all my time to get here to discombe to-day in time to dress for my wedding you should have seen my servant's face when i rang for him i went into the house by the old door in the lobby and walked up to my dressing-room without meeting a mortal one never does meet any one at discombe the house is like the tomb of the pharaohs long passages emptiness silence he had risen from his knees at suzette's entreaty and was walking by her side walking fast speaking with breathless rapidity eager self-absorbed holding her lightly now by the arm as they paced the gravel walk higson was always a fool i could see what he was thinking when i made him put out my frock-coat the fellow thought i was mad he wanted me to take a warm bath and lie down for a bit before i saw my mother he talked in a smooth wheedling way common people talked to lunatics as if they were children and then he ran off to fetch my mother and she came poor soul and kissed and cried over me and thanked god with one breath for my return and with the next wailed about alan alan was there close by in my room i was not to speak above my breath lest i should disturb him i went to another room to dress but i had ever so much trouble with higson before i could get the things i wanted london things he called them and wouldn't i have this or that anything except what i asked for so you see i had a lot of trouble and then i walked to the church and found it was two o'clock and not a soul there geoffrey what could you expect i expected you to keep your word this is our wedding day i expected to find my bride we must wait geoffrey there is plenty of time no there is no time i want to take you with me to the great lake far away from this cramped narrow country these teeming overcrowded cities a soil criss-crossed with railways shut in with streets and houses not one wide horizon like that inland sea ah oh, how you would adore it as i do in storm or in calm always beautiful always grand a place made for the mind to grow in for the heart to rest in ah how often in the deep of the moonlight nights i have wandered up and down those smooth sands thinking of you conjuring up your image in such warm reality that it froze my blood when i looked round and saw that the real woman was not at my side you will go to africa with me suzette 
yes dear yes by and by ah that's what higson said when i told him to put out a frock-coat by and by but i answered with a now that made him jump hark there's some one coming a step on the gravel a light step a girl's quick footfall it was the vicar's daughter fresh and blooming in winter frock and winter hat a creature of the kind that is usually nailed flat on a barn door with coiled gracefully round the little felt hat pretending to have come from siberia at the sight of geoffrey she started and looked aghast mr warnock i thought you were hundreds of miles away so i was yesterday afternoon but i happened to remember my wedding-day and here i am only to find that other people had forgotten oh you happen to remember said bessie still staring at the white waistcoat the malmaison carnation the light grey trousers stained with rain and mud from the knee downwards and worst of all the haggard countenance of the wearer you only remembered yesterday how funny miss edgefield would have made the same remark about a funeral in her present startled condition of mind matcham had plenty of stuff for conversation within the next few days for by that subtle process by which facts or various versions of facts are circulated in a rustic neighbourhood people became aware of geoffrey warnock's return to discombe and of dreadful scenes that had occurred at marsh house where he had stayed for a couple of days during which period suzette was living at the grove under her aunt and uncle's protection yes there had been scenes tragical scenes at marsh house mrs warnock had been hastily summoned there and had stayed under general vincent's roof till her unhappy son was removed in medical custody whither matcham people knew not though there were positive assertions as to locality on the part of the more energetic talkers a physician had been summoned from london a man of repute in mental cases and mrs warnock's broom had driven away from marsh house in the wintry dusk with a pair of horses and had not returned to the manor till late on the following day whereby it was concluded that the journey had been at least twenty miles mr warnock had been taken away placed under restraint people told each other arriving at the fact by the usual inductive process and on this occasion unhappily accurate in their deduction geoffrey was in a doctor's care a madman with lucid intervals not violent except in brief flashes of angry despair but with occasional hallucinations that delirium without fever which constitutes lunacy from the standpoint of law and medicine before he passed into that dim underworld of the private lunatic asylum he had admitted in more than one wild torrent of self-accusation his treacherous desertion of allen in africa his savage assault upon allen in the wood they had met and allen had upbraided him for that treacherous desertion and for stealing his sweetheart suzette's name had been like a lighted fuse to an infernal machine and then the latent savage which is in every man had leaped into life and there had been a deadly struggle a fight for existence on allen's part a murderous onslaught from geoffrey it needed not the opinion of experts from scotland yard nor yet the discovery of allen's watch and signet ring under the rotten leaves in the deep hollow of an old oak half a mile from the spot where he himself had been found to substantiate geoffrey's self-accusation his unhappy mother who was with him at marsh house throughout those last dreadful hours of raving and unrest had never doubted his guilt from the time of his reappearance at discombe 
it was months before alan returned to the world of active life but he left the manor long before actual convalescence not once during those slow hours of returning health did he allude to the cause of his terrible illness and on his mother timidly questioning him he professed to have no recollection of the assault which had been so nearly fatal let the past remain a blank mother no good can come by trying to remember he was especially gentle and affectionate to mrs warnock on her rare visits to his room during the earlier stages of his convalescence jeffrey's name was not spoken by either but alan's sympathetic manner told the unhappy mother that he knew her grief and pitied her lady emily was by no means ungrateful for the lavish hospitality with which mrs warnock's house and household had been devoted to her son yet she shrank with a natural abhorrence from a scene which was associated with alan's peril and jeffrey's crime no kindness of mrs warnock's could lessen that horror and lady emily did her utmost to hasten the patient's removal to his own house short of risking a relapse when she saw him established in his cheerful bedchamber at beechhurst she felt as if she had taken him out of a charnel-house into the pleasant world of the living and the happy a world to which jeffrey warnock was fated never to return quite hopeless was the verdict of medical authority mrs warnock left discombe and was said to be living in complete seclusion attended upon by two or three of the oldest of the manor servants in a cottage near the private asylum where his son was a prisoner for life before midsummer alan's health was completely restored and mother and son left for suffolk for the pastures and pine woods the long white roads and sandy commons the wide horizons and large level spaces flooded with the red and gold of sunsets that are said to surpass the splendour of sunsets in more picturesque scenery lady emily would have been completely happy in this quiet interlude this tranquil pause in the drama of life had not alan talked of going back to africa before the end of the year why not he asked when she remonstrated with him there is nothing for me to do in england and africa doesn't mean a lifelong separation mother or i would not dream of going there every year shortens the journey six weeks i think consul johnstone called it to lake tanganyika if i go i promise to return in less than two years you would hardly have time to miss me in your busy days here busy about such poor trifles ellen do you think my farm could fill the place of my son if you were away one great care and sorrow would fill every hour of my life and think what an anxious winter i went through a season of fear and trembling this plea prevailed he could not disregard the care and love that had been lavished upon him no he would not allow himself to be drawn back to that dark continent which is said to exercise a subtle influence over those who have once crossed her far-reaching plains and rested beside her wide waters and lived her life of adventure and surprise no it was too soon for the son to leave his mother she having none but him he had done with love but duty still claimed him and he stayed a quiet winter at beechhurst with his mother to keep house for him a good deal of hunting and so much attention and kindly feeling from everybody in the neighbourhood that he could not altogether play the hermit he was forced into visiting and into entertaining his friends and lady emily was very happy in playing her part of hostess in the livelier circle of matcham while the shutters were closed at fendyke and the bailiff had full sway on the white farm allowed to do what he liked there 
which was generally something different from what his mistress liked life was made easier for alan that winter by the absence of suzette who was travelling with her father easier and emptier for the one presence which would have given a zest to life was wanting he told himself that it was better so better for his peace since she could never be anything to him the disappearance of his rival would make no difference in her feelings for alan for no doubt her affection for geoffrey would only be strengthened by their tragical separation and her lover's miserable fate if she should ever care for any one else it would be a stranger alan told himself in those long reveries which the mere sight of a well-known garden wall or the chimneys of marsh house seen above the leafless elms as he rode past could evoke she will never waste a thought upon me other people were more hopeful mrs mornington told her friends in confidence that her niece's acceptance of that unfortunate young man had been a folly into which she had been entrapped by geoffrey's dominant temper and by her passion for music she never loved that unhappy young man as she once loved alan carew and now no doubt she and mr carew will make it up and marry said the confidant male or female as the case might be not now but some day yes perhaps replied suzette's aunt with a significant nod and the day came when geoffrey warnock's passionate heart was still for ever had been still for more than two years and when to him at rest in the silence of the family burial place at discombe by the side of the mother who had only survived him by a few weeks the sound of suzette's wedding bells the knowledge of alan's happiness could bring no pain alan's day came long and late after years of patient waiting when suzette had attained the sober age of six-and-twenty but it was a day of cloudless happiness which promised to last to the end of life no fear of the future marred the joy of the present the later love that had grown up in suzette's heart for her first lover was too strongly based upon knowledge and esteem to suffer the shadow of change the end end of chapter thirty seven end of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon